0: jesus lord thank you lord thank you for another day thank you that my family's here with me lord thank you that my family's going to be here with me thank you lord jesus hallelujah hallelujah oh come on i I feel good right here for a moment just let the hallelujahs roll hallelujah jesus hallelujah jesus we worship you lord we magnify your name jesus hallelujah I've said it many a times, it's so important that we are thankful, not only that we pray until we get a miracle, but once God starts to work, whether it's a complete work yet or not, we need to be thankful because that's where the wholeness comes from. And so that state, this, this um, Thanksgiving time and, and praying and just thanking of, of the goodness of God, I am so thankful uh, for the opportunity to pastor such a wonderful group of people it is an honor to pastor here and uh you are awesome and i would like to echo uh brother donnie what an amazing job uh, you all did last sunday we had so many people here that we ministered to it was such a wonderful wonderful time and, uh, and, and Thanksgiving, you have a lot of people traveling, but you also get to see some some people that you haven't seen. It's good to see John and Karen and their family. We love them. So happy. They're doing a, a great work for God. Um, and uh, in, in North Carolina, actually, one of the daughter works out of Brother Huntley's church, which Brother Ballesteros' son is uh, there uh, with uh, Brother um, Huntley. Uh, so it's connection there. And uh, Brother Mike Ward, it's so good to see. You. We had a lot of prayers, and I'm so happy to see you here. It's an honor to have you here. So many different people, and uh, we want to pray for all those that are traveling over the holidays, um, you know, all kind of people driving uh, on the holidays, and so let's make sure we keep each other in prayer, hold each other up. Um, when I was a, uh, a, a young man, and we would go to conferences, uh, one of my favorite preachers, Uh, at every conference uh, was brother Ballestero he always brought the Word of God straight uh, but he was as a kid. He was never boring to me at all He was always as a matter of fact, you never knew what he was going to say next And as a matter of fact when he drove in uh, Yesterday that happened once again. I had no idea what was coming next He was breaking out nines literally nines off of his hips and uh, I don't know if you're carrying today I hope not but uh, if he says to come to the altar just come to the altar. That's all I got to say Just do what the man says but uh, it is an honor uh, to have him here. It really is. And uh, he has uh, been preaching um, all over um, uh, all over the world, but um, all over conferences, so many different things. And he just had his 70th birthday yeah, this past year. And, uh, and so uh, it, is, it took me a while to get him here, but uh, I'm so happy I did. And so are you ready to receive the word of God? Brother Ballestero, please come, preach the word to us.
1: Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, why don't you? Thank you, Jesus.
2: Thank you, Jesus.
1: Well, praise the Lord, everyone. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven Amen. given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Praise you know what that's talking about? That's talking about baptism. Yes. Amen. Let me just tell you, if you're a visitor here today, you're in the right place. Amen. Church don't get no better than what we got going on right here. Worship at soul's harbor is like worship on crack cocaine or something. On steroids, maybe I should have said. Probably the best day of your life up to that point will have been the day that you repent of your sins. It's an experience so wonderful that some denominations completely misconstrue that as total salvation. But there's more. And if you thought that felt good, just wait. Just wait till you get baptized in Jesus' name and get those sins all washed away. It's like the Lord Jesus takes an eraser and He erases the blackboard of your life. And it's, when you come up out of that water, you're, you're squeaky clean. You wake up the next morning You're not afraid of the police? You feel like Mr. Clean only without the shaved head and the gold earrings. But if you think that felt good, just wait. Somebody say just wait. Just wait wait till you get this Holy Ghost. There's not enough good words to describe how wonderful the Holy Ghost is. You owe it to yourself to get this Holy Ghost. Don't die till you got the same experience they had on the day of Pentecost. Can I get a witness from somebody? It's indeed a wonderful honor for Sugar Booger and myself to be in the fair metropolis of Bellevue. This I told Brother Huntley I was going to be here. I told him Thanksgiving. And he he didn't actually turn green with envy, but he said, oh, man, that's an awesome place to get to go. Be sure to give everybody my love and greet the bishop for me and all them kind of things. I thank you for the invitation to be here, and I thank you for your excellent choice of speakers for this morning. <laughs> uh, 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 and I mean that in a good Christian way. sir. Yes. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verse number 13. And I want, to, I want to tell you that your church is a special church. You don't find churches like this cranked out of, uh, or made by some rubber stamp or something. This church is a gift of God to this whole area. I hope to God that you are thankful for the leadership that God has placed in this place. You only have what you have because of these men here and their precious wives. They have anointed ministries, anointed lives, the hand of God upon them. Their name is pristine around this country. I mean that. I travel for a living. I've preached over a thousand revivals and about 400 conferences and about 75 camp meetings. I've I've been around is what I'm telling you. Besides, I've pastored for 30 years. I'm an old geezer. (laughs) Deal with it. And and I mean that in a good Christian way. (laughs) But you hear what people say about others as far as preachers and their respect and if I was in this church, I would be so thankful to God that I had this man and this man, that woman and that woman in my life. Every, every opportunity that presents itself to give them honor, please do that. God will bless you for blessing them because that's the closest you can come to blessing God when you bless them. And besides that, anybody that wouldn't like their wives wouldn't fight for their country. That's what I'm talking about. Let me just tell you, we're living in a generation that's very mm, mobile. And we look for a lot of excuses to change churches and move around the country. Don't get caught up in that. Uh, can you pop Genesis twenty? I think it's twenty six, twenty five, on the screen for me, please. Your screen got ate up. It's gone. It says concerning Isaac, he, he built an altar there, called in the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent, and then th- they digged a well. First was the altar, then was the tent, then was the well. This the well is the thing that gives you sustenance in the wilderness. This world looks for the well first, and then they pitch a tent, and then they go build an altar. Well, I'm sorry, there's no altar where I live, so I've got to go drive 40 miles to find me an altar. God's plan for your life is to have the altar first. Your family next, and your job number three. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So when you decide you're going to leave a good church and go someplace else and you break the seal between you and your church and your man of God, I'll just tell you, from an old man's point of view, I've never seen it get put back together. So you be careful about making any major decisions without including the man of God and his permission and his feelings about that in your life. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. I've kept you standing a long time. I'm still got some old school in me. I'm going to die that way, so <laughs> prepare yourself. I'm reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verse number th- 13, one verse. But he that shall endure, somebody say, endure, endure. until the end, endure. the same shall be saved. God bless you. Look at your neighbor and say, I sure hope you don't preach very long. And so, God, you may be seated. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayer when we ask amiss. <laughs> Sister Honey does not normally feed me much on Sunday morning. She's afraid I'll turn into a Delco battery and just last and last and last and last and last. To him that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. It's been my experience as a pastor, as a preacher, to know that people seem to have a good time and easily can be happy and smile and get their little hucklebuck on or the shout, the hoochie-coochie or whatever they do. When they get a raise, they get a new house, a new car, or... Their fiance agreed to marry him. And... But what happens when the bottom falls out? What do you do when things don't go like you planned and what God promised you isn't visible? What do you do then? I'll tell you what you do you keep on coming to church, you keep on singing. You keep on shouting. You keep on loving the Lord. You keep on holding on to His promises. You keep on believing His Word. Keep on paying your tithes. Come on, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I uh, have five children. one of uh, three sons in Clearwater. A son and daughter in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. And some of my kids went to Bible school in IBC with uh, a young man named Patrick. Uh, It just so happened that after Patrick died, that Brother O'Daniels, the dean of IBC at the time, told me sitting at at a lunch at Michigan campground. He said, Patrick was probably the best preacher, young preacher we had in our in our school the best musician and singer he was a Christian he said I can find no fault and when you have a dean of a Bible school said you can't find a fault and you, you you did good when I went to Bible school well, nobody said that about me <laughs> I got in trouble for liking to laugh
2: <laughs>
1: when I, I went to 26 schools growing up okay And I really did. And every school I went to, the teachers loved me. They always had me pull my chair right up beside their desk. (laughs) And sometimes they didn't want me to be bothered by all the other students, so they had me a little cloakroom with lunches and coats in it where I didn't have to be bothered with the other students. I thought that was so nice. And it was all for the same thing, for talking. And now they pay me for it. I, I, I don't know where the transition was. But Brother O'Daniel said that Patrick was, none of that, he was an excellent ball player basketball, football, baseball, swimmer, runner. He, he just was all around, F, great at everything. Well, some years after Patrick died, maybe about four. Well, I have no recollection of ever meeting him. I'm told that he came with a group of about 15 or so to my house one day of of students from the school. And my wife is in charge. She's my uh, social director. And she was in charge of everything. And I was in and out, running back and forth to the hospital. So I really didn't get to meet all the kids. But it so happened that I went to preach in a little rural church in Mississippi place called Potts camp and actually the church was not in Potts camp it was 7 miles from Potts camp Potts camp has 400 people the community is called Bethlehem and it may have 10 12 houses around it around the church they got a little graveyard right beside the church and now they got a church building out there to seat about 1400 in the middle of nowhere i mean three times the size of the town and town is 7 miles away so I pull up with Sister Honey and we unpack our stuff and take it into the evangelistic quarters and we go in there and get our stuff unloaded. And they take us out to get a little something to eat at a service station that sells hamburgers and and soup and salad uh, in Potts Camp. We're sitting there at the table and Within 20 minutes of our being together, Patrick's daddy starts telling me about how Patrick died. He drowned in about five feet of water in a little lake, a pond behind one of the saints' house. Two of his friends with him. He was a tremendous swimmer. He did have diabetes. They don't know what caused him to drown. Drown. And the father began to weep and cry sitting at the table. He said, I go to, when I walk out of my house in the morning to go anywhere, the first thing I see is the church on the left and the graveyard on the right and my son's tombstone up near the front. And he said, for the last four years, I've spent at least an hour, two hours every day crying, sitting on that, by my son's grave. He said, all my hopes and dreams for the future of this church was wrapped up in that boy. He was the associate pastor at the time that he died, single. And so he started crying. The Bible said, rejoice with them that rejoice and for me to cry or to weep with them that do that too. So I just started doing it. I, I whooped out a hanky and I went to wipe my eyes And for the next two weeks I carried two handkerchiefs because every day I'd get in his truck, he'd stick a CD. This is Patrick singing. This is Patrick playing. This is him singing at the natural, uh, National Quartet Convention. This is him preaching so-and-so place. And he'd cry going down the road, and I'd cry right along with him. It probably bonded us together. When you need help, you've got somebody to go talk to. But where does a preacher go when he needs to vent some of his motions? You think a preacher's world is just perfect, and all you do is just get to be first in line and eat fried chicken. But we folks, just like y'all are folks. Yeah. We cry just like y'all cry. Am I far enough south where I can say y'all yet? I'm bilingual. I've lived in South Texas and I've lived in Minnesota. So I can can do you guys or I can do y'all. That's what I'm talking about. I can go either way. I came back on the fifth anniversary of Patrick's death. We got into the van to go get something to eat. Town about 25 miles away. And the mama said to me, she said, Brother Ballester, I remember reading. I don't remember. It's a magazine and a newspaper. But I read about a group of sports writers that got together to honor a hockey player. Not because he was good. Not because he was famous or well-liked. Not because he would played the longest or made the most points. They only simply honored him because he was willing to play hurt. With broken bones and cuts and injuries, he wouldn't sit on the bench. He'd get right back out there and keep on playing. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Willing to play hurt. A lot of folks can shout and do the hucklebuck when they feel the blessings of the Lord. But what do you do when the well dries up? And what do you do when the bottom falls out? I'll tell you what you do. You keep on shouting. You keep on coming to church. You keep on praising the Lord. You keep a smile on your face. You keep your hands up in there. He's still a good God. He's still a faithful God. The devil wants to put a magnifying glass on that and cause you to go out the door. But there's nothing worth backsliding over. There's nothing worth going to hell over. Come on, somebody. It rains on the just and the unjust. I don't know where the world goes to when they got a problem. But I'll tell you where I go. I run to the rock. i got a place where I can go when I need help. And so do you. Put your hands together and praise the Lord. In Job thirteen, fifteen He said, Though he slay me, yet will I t- trust him. And I like the next portion of this verse he said I will maintain my ways before him. What are you saying, Job? I'm going to keep on doing what I've always been doing. Keep on doing what I've always been doing. Keep on doing what I've always been doing. I don't understand what I'm looking at, but I'm not going to change right now. I'm just going to keep on doing what I've always been doing. This works, brothers and sisters. I need you to get me Deuteronomy 33, verse 24 and 25. Deuteronomy 33, 24 and 25. We're going to need a little help here today. David said one time, he said, The lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. Meaning that when they handed out the inheritances, I got me a good deal. I got nice, lush, green grass, palm trees. I got a little brook flowing through the property here. All you have to do is go to Israel one time or see pictures of it and you realize not everybody got a good deal when it comes to property. Some places is nothing but dirt and rocks. No wonder stoning was so easy. There's rocks everywhere. I mean there's weapons of mass destruction everywhere. That's what I'm talking about. Huh. Did you um So when David says that lions have fallen to me in pleasant places, he's grateful and thankful to God because they got a good deal. And one of the worst things you can do is start comparing yourself to somebody else. that looks like they got them a better deal. Well, Lord, they're driving a brand new Lincoln Continental. And I'm driving a POJ, a piece of junk. They got a nice, pretty house, and I'm living in a broke down double wide. And she got a good looking husband. Look what you gave me. Yeah. I think I might have crossed a boundary right there. I'm not sure. Deuteronomy 33 24 is where Moses is handing out the inheritances to all the children of Israel. It was up there. But some soap made it disappear. Okay. And of Asher, he said, let Asher be blessed with children. I I know that I make it a big stretch from the literal to the spiritual, but it's God's will that his church and his kingdom be blessed with children. May God give souls harbor a mighty harvest of souls. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I remember I do not have any uh, cut any slack for Brother Teclamarian's doctrine, but I heard him make a statement one time at a general conference. He said, In Ethiopia, we never prayed for revival, we prayed for unity, and God gave us revival. It says here, Let him be acceptable to his brethren. To me, that speaks of unity. And you can't have a continuous revival without there being a spirit of unity. We're here for one purpose, and that's to see souls safe. All right? But you can't have unity till some folks start overlooking each other's little idiosyncrasies. If you keep focusing on all the faults and all your brothers and sisters, you never will have unity. Souls dying and going to hell should be bigger than somebody's little quirk that they little personality trait that you don't like. It's not about you and me, it's all about him. It's all about the lost souls. God doesn't make mistakes, He put you here for a purpose. He didn't make a mistake of where He put this church, He put it here for a purpose. Oh, come on, somebody, and let Him dip His foot in oil. God wants your life, your walk to be anointed. If you want to hear unanointed singing, you can go anywhere in town. But you're hearing some anointed singing in this house. Oh, help me, Lord. He changes the verb usage from the word let to shall in the next verse. Twenty-five. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy day, so shall thy strength be. Let me just say this right here, because I'll probably forget it. That's what old people do. You remember this. No matter what your day may be, God's going to give you enough strength to get through that day. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. I, I have a picture on my computer of just a, a mountain with nothing but boulders about this big on it. Just that's all it is, and a man trying to walk across it. Asher got ripped off when it come to having nice property, and yet God didn't change the circumstances for them. God didn't change the surroundings for them. He just equipped them to survive during difficult situations. God may not take the pain away, but He helps you get through the pain. He may not take the problem away. He helps you survive the problem. And somebody will say to you, how in the world did you ever come through that? You'll say, I don't know. It wasn't a book that helped you. It wasn't some counselor that helped you it was god that helped you that no flesh should glory in his presence god wants the glory for helping you through your problem anybody here anybody here ever gone to a shoe store almost half of you that's good when you go to the shoe store you say do you have this in a 12d in a burgundy or black or brown, whatever you want. You are large and in charge. You tell them what style, you tell them what color, and you tell them what size. It's not that way at God's shoe store. You go, you're walking down the street minding your own business. Not business, business. He's leaned up against the door jamb of his shoe store. You walking down the other side of the street, whistling. He said, "Bounce down. Your shoes came in. My shoes? Lord. I didn't order no shoes. I know it. I ordered them for you." And <laughs> you go in there and you sit down. He tries on the first pair of shoes. He said, "I call these peace, peace, Lord." You're getting ready to walk down turmoil Boulevard. There may be turmoil in your health, your finances, your relationship, on the job, at church. You're going to need these shoes when you walk down the street. Come here, son. Anybody who wear a bow tie like that wants to be seen. Fifteen minutes of fame, right here. Open, give him a big hand clap, right there. That is a good looking tie. Okay. In life, you can go no further than what your understanding will allow you to go. You only build things your understanding allows you to build. You all right? You can't breathe. Yeah, that's tough, ain't it? Have to have a healing service here shortly. The book said He's able to give you peace that passeth understanding. And you don't know how you got over here to where you're at. Somehow God helped you get past your own understanding and live and operate in an area that you have no understanding how to do that. It's a God moment. Give my man a hand here. And then one day you're walking down the street and he calls you back into the shoe shop. He puts another pair of shoes on you. He said, I call these grace. Grace, Lord? You're getting ready to walk down rumor alley and folk are going to talk about you. And I'm going to help you hold your head up and keep a song in your heart. Keep a smile on your kisser. And then one day he stops you and he's got a pair of boots for you. Boots, Lord? Yeah, I call these worship. You're getting ready to walk through the valley of despair. And these boots are the only thing that's going to come out the other side. When I was a young teenager, a, a sister Nancy sang a song, These Boots Are Made for Walking. And walking's what they'll do. And, One of these days, these boots are going to... I think most of your carnal people are sitting right over there on that side. And as thy days, so shall thy strength be. God's looking for somebody who even though they have a problem... Maybe especially because they have a problem. They still got a praise in their heart. He's looking for somebody willing to play hurt. You can suck your thumb and beg for attention all you want. But God's looking for somebody who going through the darkest night, you could never tell because they still got a shout, they still got the love of God in their heart. They're still saying, God, you're a good God. I know the Lord's gonna bring me through. Come on, somebody. I'm making myself at home. (laughs) Sit down, it ain't that good. You don't read in the Bible very far before you come across a story about a man named Naaman. He was the general, the captain of the host of King Ben Hadad of Syria. He found out that he had leprosy, and his slave, little girl slave, she said, I oh, would to God my master would go back to my, my people. If she could just meet my preacher, he'd pray for her and God would heal him. Yeah. My, I, I believe that. But my deal is how did she get there? There's still a king of Israel sitting on a throne. The preacher's still having church on Friday nights. Where is the girl's daddy? How come she's a slave, yeah. and she's over here by herself? What's the story there? The Bible didn't tell me. All I know is I got one girl, and if you get my girl, you got to get past me to get my girl. Right. Yeah. 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 I, when my daughter was about this high, about four years old or three or four years old, we were we, we were in a small Southern town, I don't want to tell you where, because I don't want to bring Natchez, Mississippi into the story. We had a little church conference thing. My wife and another lady wanted to go to the mall, and so I'm the designated driver, and I drove. Well, what happened was I got them there, and my daughter saw one of those little two-horsey merry-go-rounds inside the mall. And she had had to ride it. Well, from where the bishop is sitting to here is about the distance from the window of a store to where the merry go round. My wife is looking in the window, my daughter's on this merry-go-round. The other minister's wife is probably forty feet away looking at it on the other side of the mall, looking at something. There's no one else beside us three adults. In the mall as customers. Two employees or maintenance men are on the scaffolding. Three levels up working on the ceiling. I'm about nearly a hundred feet away from my daughter. Watching the guys work. Waiting for them all to come up to me. And it so happened. That I hear a scream. And the other preacher's wife screams out. Oh, I you, They got your baby. And I turned to see two men running out the door. A girl. That wasn't good. I looked around. There was no man to help me. No one. Just me, Jesus, two women. Saw the two men going out. I'm an old geezer at this point. My wife does not even like me to jump up and kick my heels together. She's twisted. (laughs) But in that day, I could kick my heels together up here. I could do you a karate kick like that. I broke records in almost every school that I attended from, from middle school or junior high on up. They gave me honorary letters and chevrons and sweaters. I wouldn't compete. but Just what I did in gym class and like the 11th grade against the 10th grade or 9th grade against whatever. I knew I could catch them. It's what I'm going to do when we get there that we need to talk about just a minute. <laughs> you say, Brother Ballester, you're a preacher for crying out loud. You're right. I just plumb for God. I looked on the floor and there was a lead pipe about that long. And the devil said, pick it up. And sometimes the devil has good ideas. Say, Brother Bowser, I'm disappointed in you. I give you that privilege. Just just don't have any children of your own to get in a position where you have to defend them. I picked up that pipe, and I let out a scream that would have made the whole Cherokee Indian nation proud of me. (laughs) I began to double-clutch A-flat trailer truck heading for that door. When I hit the doors that open like that, I hit it with my feet up there that high. I'm coming through the door. Oh, I came through. You don't want to be bored with details, but I got my girl back. I didn't go to jail. Ambulance drivers didn't have to do a search and rescue. My point is, where was this girl? She could have said, the maid, Naaman's maid, she could have said, if there's a God, how could he let this happen to me? She didn't even go that way and you want to not? to either she kept on being a witness she kept on being a light going through her darkest trial what do you do when things go bad you just keep on being what God called you to be you just keep on doing what God meant for you to do can I get a witness from somebody David tried to honor somebody that was kin to his best friend, Jonathan. And they brought him a man whose legs were all gnarled up because he had been dropped and forever injured because somebody was careless. And we've all been dropped and hurt by something or someone we can point fingers at who said this and who did that to who hurt me and, and you can be a bean counter all your life and keep track of all the people that hurt you they didn't have screws and plates to put in the man's leg back in the day he didn't have braces to put on his leg he probably stood there all gnarled up and I don't mean to be disrespectful or unkind or or I'm not trying to be unpolitically uh, correct here all I would tell you is that when they brought him before the king he didn't say your majesty you know why I'm like this she did it to me He didn't point fingers or assess blame for who hurt him. What he did was he bowed himself down heavily. He puts his head on the ground and says, I am but as a dead dog in thy sight. That was as humble or humble as a Jew could make themselves to call themselves a dead dog. You see, when you got your head on the ground and you're humbling yourself, it's kind of hard to point your finger at who hurt you and who said what. When you got your head down on the ground and you're humbling yourself. And before he could even get up, the king said, Mephibosheth, you see that chair right there, son? That's yours all the rest of the days of your life. I wonder how much we rob ourselves from by being so busy pointing fingers at who hurt us and who did this to us and who said that. We're not interested in somebody going to hell. We're interested in getting revenge. We're interested in hurting back somebody because you hurt me. God has a banquet table wanting you to sit at it. He's got a place already custom designed with your name on it. Don't rob yourself. Don't keep yourself from being able to sit at the king's table. It's God's will that you let yesterday be yesterday. How long will you let a war go on? How long will you keep a grudge going in your life? Yes, you've been hurt. And yes, I'm sorry for you. But God's looking for somebody willing to play hurt. Put your hand together and pray. Everybody in this house has a story to tell. I preached a sermon when I was a pastor. I preached it one time, and you can tell why. By my title, I preached on clumsy nurses, dead dogs, and supper. And that's the kind of sermon you only get to preach once, I think. I called her a clumsy nurse because in my world, the women in my world are protective of their babies. And if they should ever trip, God forbid, and fall, they're going to twist their body so that they hurt themselves. But that baby's going to be okay. So I don't understand this about the story about that woman. She figured the king already made 42 look just like this one. He'll make another one look just like this one. She was worried about herself. And yes, we can find reason to blame other people. But that's no way to live your life. God's bookkeeper doesn't make any mistakes. You let God fight your battles. You let God take care of business. And you just come and have some church up in here. And you just come home. with. You came, come, and get what God meant for you to have. Each service that you come here for. And go home blessed and receive it in Jesus' name. I had about, as a pastor, I had a little over 7,000 books in my library. For all the good it did me. And uh, my brother, one of my brothers in law, on my wife's side, called me and he said, Hey, have you heard about that new book? I'm okay, you're okay. I said, Yeah, I have it. He said, What well, do you think about it? I said, I've never read it. He said, You never read it? Why not? I said, Because I read the table of contents, I already got it figured out. He said, What do you mean? I said, Well, from where I can see, there are some people that are basically honest people, they're okay. They don't even lock their doors. They get out, go around and destroy, leave the car running. Because they trust everybody. I would never get in somebody's car with a car running. So I, yeah. so they, I'm okay and I think you're probably okay too. I trust you. There's other people that as my youngest son would say, they're shysty. They steal from the boss and they think everybody else steals from the boss too. Yeah. They're not okay. Well, I went to church that night and I on, I'm not okay, you're not okay. And I said, how many of you knew that I have pain right here? They looked at me real twisted like. I unbuttoned. I took my tie threw it over my shoulder, unbuttoned my shirt, spread it. And I had taken a big felt tip marker and written the word pain on my undershirt. And I got the same little sympathy laugh from them as I got from you right there. And then I kicked off my shoes and I had the toes cut off of each sock. And my big toe was waving at everybody. I said, how many of you knew that I had to live like this? My wife don't take very good care of me at home. (laughs) And I unbuttoned my shirt, and I had grease smeared on the sides of my shirt. I said, how many of you knew I had to live like this? I'm not okay. I took off my shirt, and I had my sleeves ripped up just below my elbow, and on the back looked like my... Undershirt was in jail, all the bars back there. So how many of you knew that this is how I have to live? I fixed my shirt, got my tie straight, put my shoes back on. I buttoned my coat. And you couldn't tell. I said, sometimes we come to church and we wish somebody cut us some slack because they don't know what we're going through on the inside. But maybe that same person that you wish would cut you some slack wishes that you would cut them some slack. And bear you one another's burdens. Because we're all going through something. I'm not okay in my world. You're not okay in your world. But God's still okay. That's why we're here together. Because God's able to help you and you. He's got your answer. He'll be there for you. He'll help you through the midnight hour. I'm walking with my daddy. My daddy died with Alzheimer's at the age of 74. I'm talking about a man who could preach the UPC General Conference with his notes on the back of a calling card. I'm talking about a tremendous mind. A preacher's preacher. I just testify longer than most folks is all I do. But here is my daddy, my pastor, my daddy, my hero. And he's walking like this. And I got my arm out and we're walking through Ontario Mills Mall. I'm 50 years old. I'm proud of him. This is my dad. And I see a guy that looks like he's about 85 cross in front of me about this far away. And he is cursing using God's name in vain. He appears to be 85. He's got a muscle shirt on, and a speedo. Try to get that out your mind. <laughs> Wearing flip-flops, a foot-long cigar, cigar, and a young blonde honey on his arm. And I said out loud where he could hear me, God, why are you letting that old buzzard live? If my daddy had that much strength, just thank God what he could be doing for your kingdom. And immediately John 21 came to my mind. Where Peter's on the seashore dividing up the catch. One for you, two for me. And he's divvying up the catch. And Jesus says to him, lovest thou me more than these? Oh yeah, Lord, I love you. One for you, two for me. Three times he says though that phrase, using a more potent or more powerful word of love yes. than the first time. Right. Right. Peter's getting nervous. After he answers him the third time, my generation would say, Jesus turned the record over. But Jesus said, When thou wast young, you went whithersoever thou wouldest. But when thou art old, another shall dress thee and lead thee where thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by which death he should glorify God. I don't know how in the cornbread world God could get any glory out of you dying that kind of death. I'm not saying it means dementia, but he's got enough strength to stand up. He just can't put his own clothes on. Somebody has to help him get dressed. His GPS is broke. He can walk, but he can't. Get to where he needs to go and get back. So somebody has to lead him both ways. Well, Peter don't want to hear that mess. He said, well, what about him? Pointing at John. The Lord said, if I let him live 2,000 years, if I let him live till I come again, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And twice Jesus says, follow thou me. My point to you, brothers and sisters, all God asked of you. Peter didn't like the deal he got. He thought John got a better deal. But all Jesus required of Peter was, follow thou me. I don't know where you're at, what you're going through, but his requirement for you, his requirement for me, is just to keep on following. Keep on maintaining your ways. God, I'm still going to be faithful. This is not how I thought it was going to turn out. But you can see the end from the beginning. You know where I'm at. You know where I'm going through. I put my life in your hands. I still trust you. When I was a very young preacher, I heard about a missionary named Larson in Columbia. Yeah. Brother Larson went to Columbia, the first, to my knowledge, one this Pentecostal in that nation. He was able to buy a house. He bought a house. And uh, his wife was expecting a baby. I got to meet that baby She lives in Canada. When the religious officials in that town discovered that he wanted to start a church, that he was a missionary, they forbade anyone in that community to rent, to sell, or lease them a building. All they had left was the house. She needed... To find a doctor. For her prenatal care. And no doctor was allowed to treat her. When it was time for the baby to be born. No hospital was allowed to take her. She died in childbirth. And no funeral home was allowed to embalm her. No graveyard was allowed. To bury her. Brother. Larson said that he felt like the Lord said to him, Don't cry. They're watching you. And so he had to dig a hole in his own backyard and build a casket for his wife. He dressed her in her prettiest dress. Had to stop and feed the baby. The neighbors would lean over the block wall on three sides and watch this foreigner. How would he react? They'd heard about him from a church. They'd heard the preacher talk about him. And so now they've been warned away. They won't even talk to him. They're watching him. He laid his wife's body in the casket and he nailed it shut. He had his ropes ready to lower her. He went around the yard and got flowers His baby's by his side. He put on a suit. Went outside and he, he prayed. And then he started singing. Then he read a scripture. Another scripture. And then he preached a sermon. I don't know what he preached. When he got done, he prayed another prayer. He got the ropes, and he lowered his wife's body down to the ground, got a shovel, and he covered her up. He laid the flowers on the mound, picked up his Bible, went over and picked up his baby, and he kissed his baby. And he nodded, and he smiled at all the hundreds of neighbors watching him. I don't know what it was that was said that day, but something happened in that one service. It was the catalyst for revival in Columbia. It was the beginning where over hundreds of thousands of people we're born again of the water and of the Spirit. All because one man in his darkest hour was willing to play hurt. To keep on doing the right kind of thing. I want you to know heaven's watching you. Hell is watching you. Your enemies are watching you. Your family's watching you. Your children's watching you. For crying out loud, don't let them down. Keep on being the man and woman God meant for you to be. For the last 15 years, every year, I have ridden four wheelers for a week. I love the Word of God. I love to study. I love to go to church, but sometimes you just want to go do guy stuff. I've ridden over 8,000 miles cross country on gated horses in the last 40 years. I have owned, plug your ears, Pastor, I've owned nine motorcycles. My wife is smarter than I. She won't ride with me. And uh, in 06, my, my son bought me my own four-wheeler. And so we go through, we ride through parts of three states. We sleep in the same place every night. We just go out in big circles like this. And I don't mean no little wimpy circles. I mean the shortest ride is going to be eight hours. The longest ride has been 17 hours. We may get in at 6 at night from the trip to the, to the camp. If we load up, we'll ride to 6 in the morning. I mean, if you're sissy, just ate the house. There's about 20 of us. We get out in the mud and the blood and the root beer. That's what I'm talking about. Sorry about that, Lord. I apologize for that. There's a couple Baptist guys that ride with us, very respectful. They call us Brother Ballesterro or Brother Johnson or whatever. Preachers and their sons go. My son Brian goes with me every year. So we're stopping for about a 10 minute break on the side of a hill. Uh, it's only about 11, 1200 feet. We go through parts of Kentucky, parts of West Virginia. And once in a while into Virginia. He said, the guy's name was Rick. And he said, we, he helped as a guide. Uh, we really don't pay the guides. We buy them lunch or their meals and put, keep gas in their rigs. And that's all they ask for. And actually, they don't even ask. That's just what we do. So he said, you know, when I was, we got to talk about hurts and burns or something. He said, when I was two weeks old. I slept in a bassinet on the floor there in West Virginia, a little old, went down one of them little hollers. He said, We had a steam or hot water humidifier, and my daddy was carrying boiling water in a pan to put in that steam humidifier. And he tripped over a throw rug and he spilt that boiling water on my right leg. And I received third degree burns from my knee down. I said, Rick, that's horrible. I said, Did you have to have surgery? Oh, he said, Many, many surgeries, skin grafts, all kinds of stuff. I said, I am so sorry. I said, Do the scars still come up to your knee today? He said, No, it only comes to my ankle today. I said, Your ankle? And he looked at me like I'm the biggest goober in the whole world. He said, yeah. And he shucked off his tennis shoe, pulled his sock off, and sure enough, the scar just came up to his ankle bone. He said, Brother Bowser, when you're a baby, from your bottom of your foot to your knee ain't but that far. And then he said something that caused the Holy Ghost to come alive in me. He said, scars don't grow. He said, I got bigger than my scar. And some of us have never gotten bigger than our scars. Could it be a sign that we're not growing? Because it's God's will that you get bigger than your scar, that you get past all the hurts and the things that hurt you. That is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Go ahead and stand with me if you would, please. Musicians, if you would, come. The year was 1992. The place was Barcelona, Spain, the land of my father's people. The event was the Olympics, the 400-meter race in the Olympics, to be exact. A runner by the name of Derek Redmond was the pride of Great Britain. The United States had no one that could beat Derrick Redmond. Europe, Africa, nobody. Derrick Redmond owned a 400 meter race. Everyone in the race that day, he'd already beaten in former races, previous races around the world. His knuckles are locked. His head's down. His hips are raised. He's tensing, waiting for the gun to fire and the race to begin. He hears the gunshot and he takes off, easily pulling ahead of everyone. About 120 meters into the race, he blows a hamstring and crumbles to the ground. Everyone in the audience gasped and stood. This was the crowd favorite, and he's on the ground. It don't get no worse than that. That's not good English, but it don't get no worse than that anyway. One by one, the racers ran by him. Ten years later, he said, For an interview and an article that the sports writer called finishing at any cost and in an interview Derek Redmond said I saw the stretcher carriers come running from across the field towards me and I told myself I'm a runner you're not going to carry me off this field You ain't carrying me off. If I have to hop on one leg to the finish line, I'm going to hop on one leg to the finish line. I'm a runner. With great pain, and I have pictures on my computer of his face making grimacing looks as he's got up on one leg and he's trying to hop. And each hop shakes his leg and he feels the intense pain. Somewhere in section 131, row 22 seat 25 a big burly man says excuse me move please and he shoves people away unceremoniously the guards try to stop him but he easily pushes them aside and he runs out on the field his name is Jim Jim Redmond. Daddy Redmond. He runs out to his boy and he says, son, you don't have to do this. He says, yes, daddy, I do. Jim Redmond said to his son, "Well, son, if you're going to do this, you're not going to do it without me. Put your arm around my neck, son. You can see a picture of Jim with his arm around his boy's waist. Derek with his arm around his daddy's neck. Derek says, keep me in lane five, Daddy. The crowds stood there in silence while Derek hopped towards the finish line. The gold's already been declared. The silver's been won. The bronze has been awarded. But for Derek, the race is not over. Because I haven't got there yet. He keeps hopping till he gets close to the finish line. And the daddy lets him hop across the line by himself. And the sports writer says, at this setting, some 10 years later, I don't remember who won the gold. I don't remember who won the silver. I don't remember who won the bronze. But everybody in the stadium that day remembers the man who was willing to finish at any cost. I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know where you've been at. But if you want to make it all the way home, the father's not going to let you make it by yourself. If you'll come down here this morning and wrap your arms around his neck, he'll wrap his arms around you and make sure that you make it all the way home. Everybody here believes in prayer. Don't leave here today without talking to Jesus. Say that yes to him. Surrender if you will. Jesus Come on. He loves you. Come and talk to Lord today. We need you,
2: Jesus. the to, to me. You're the reason that I live. The that I sing. With all that. Yeah. We-